Welcome to Grace Point. If this is the first time with us, I'm just so glad to have you. And I know that hopefully as we continue this journey, as we talk about journey today, that you will continue even with us into the future and feel invited to join in and just be a part in every sense of the word. When you talk about journeys and trips and so forth, I am a person who loves vacations. Uh, I don't know about you. Raise your hand if you like vacations, all right? You just like to take a vacation. It could be a staycation. I like staycations, but I really like vacations where I go somewhere. And we've been to some incredible places uh, living internationally. We were afforded to go to some incredible places internationally and, and travel through. And I always get off the plane and I look for the next place I can go to and see something and, and take photos of it and experience it and take it in as I go. And, and our family's been able to see some, again, some incredible places along the way. But a few years back, we, we decided as a family this year, we're not going to fly from point A to point B and just let the the destination be the the experience, but that we were going to experience the journey as well as the destination. And what better way to do that than not fly, but to drive and to take a road trip. Now, I grew up, that's all I did was on vacations, on road trips and, and taking road trips. That's kind of how I knew it. So I wanted to do kind of a, a call it a retro vacation, if you will. We didn't have a GPS. We had maps. Uh, we, we used cash all along the way. We paid for everything we cashed, so we never came back. We didn't come back from our trip with any regrets or any long-lasting debt that we were going to have to recover from. So we had that that kind of uh, to to be able to experience along the way, and uh, we did all kinds of things. Uh, we uh, we saw all kinds. Of, we stayed in cheap motels that you probably shouldn't stay in with your children, but they were cheap, and we were cheap, and so that's what we did. And uh, we ate at fun places, and we had less profound things like burping contests in the car and. Uh, things that you just do on a road trip. And as you experience that life and that retro kind of vacation, we took it all on the Route 66. So you can't go any more retro vacation than Route 66. And so we just stopped at all these little dives all along the way and experiencing the journey and experiencing that. Now, I hope that as you journey in your faith, that you have a good journey. Now, here's one of the things that was awesome about that. Now, guys, you will appreciate this. Ladies, maybe not. But the entire time as I was driving, I never once had to stop and ask for directions. All right. Now, maybe I should have, but I never once stopped and asked for directions. I was confident in my rap, map, map reading skills. I was confident in being able to, to plot it out. But you know what? What's really important is to always have clarity when you get in the van, which is what we are traveling in, when you get in the Odyssey and you're traveling, that you know where you're going, okay? You can't just randomly go anywhere. Well, there's a lot of people in this world that don't have a clue where they're going. They get up day after day after day after day. They live out their life. They live out their faith. They live in their relationships, and they have absolutely no direction in their life. And anywhere they're going to end up, they're going to end up there on accident, And I want to say to you, please do not do that to your life. Please do not do that to the people around you. Figure out where you're going, chart a course, and get to that destination. In your faith, where are you going in your faith? Is it one of those that you wake up and one day you pray and another day you forget God and then one day you read your Bible and another day you forget God and one day you decide you're going to uh, listen to Spotify and listen to the worship songs and you're going to go to work? You just absolutely have no direction in your faith. 
And here's another thing. We, got, we learn about, about this experience in life in the 21st century. Is that there's a lot of roads out there going a lot of different places. And a lot of these roads are going to different places and with different destinations. And not a whole roads end up with the same place. I used to say this, that life is, has faith like Baskin-Robbins ice cream. There's 31 flavors out there. You just get to choose which one you want. But I'm convinced now that in this day and age that we have not 31 flavors to choose from, that life is not like Baskin-Robbins. It's more like Cold Stone Creamery. Now, there's a big difference if you've not tasted ice cream. I'm sorry if you're a defender for, uh, for, for uh, Baskin-Robbins. But there's a big difference in the ice cream flavor and taste and options and, and choices that you can make at Cold Stone Creamery. I have been searching online for now a day to try to find how many different ways you can make ice cream at Cold Stone Creamery. It must be an infinity. Because I cannot find that number. Now, some of y'all are going to tune me out, and you're going to be on your smartphones the rest of the day trying to figure out how many so you can tell me. If you tell me before the next service, then I can tell them in the next service. But I can't find it because there's that many different ways to make ice cream at Cold Stone Creamery. Well, there's that many ways to live out faith in this day and age. Eddie Gibbs said it like this. He said, in recent decades, spirituality has reemerged as a potent societal force. Spirituality is defined as an inner quest for meaning and the exploration of options. The inner, that, 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 that inner quest for meaning there's a lot of people, the church may be dead, Christianity may be fading, post-Christendom may be on the rise, but here's what's not, on, not, not dead, and that is spirituality. Spirituality is actually on the rise in our culture. And again, it's like cold stone creamery. You can make it and design it and shape it and mold it and add whatever flavors and sauces you want to your faith. Now, I'm not saying it's all right. I'm just saying that's the reality. We want to explore our options. We want to make our own faith. We want to build our own road to God. Now, the problem with that is that not all roads lead to God. Not all roads lead to the same path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, either Jesus is lying or he is, uh, or he's pretty clear about his narrow-mindedness about there is only one way to God. So we're going to have to choose. Is he a liar or is he telling the truth? And I'm going to let you wrestle with that. Here's what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, the importance of having an open mind. I'm all about having an open mind. Is that knowing when you need to close your mind, bite down on something that is solid. So I want to say that this is a safe place. We are a safe congregation for you to come in with all the diversities and opinions and views of, of different spiritualities out there. You can come in with your cold stone creamery uh, makeup. But here's what I want you to find in your exploration, in your journey, in your pursuit, in your, in your seeking after God, is that you will make sure that you will not settle for anything and not settle for your own concoction that you will find truth and you will bite down and you will live out that truth for the rest of your days. T- take your Bibles and be finding the book of Colossians. Now, as we go to Colossians, we're going to be in chapter 2 today and we're going to cover the lion's share of chapter 2 today. And we're actually at the very core reason for Paul's writing to this believer group called the church at Colossia. 
We're at the very heart. We're past the introductions. We're past the prayers. We're past everything that we've talked about for the past several weeks. And we're now at the very reason and the heart and intention behind the letter. At the same time, we're going to look at this and it is going to be a little confusing. Because there's things that Paul is writing about that we don't have all the clarity on. But the first century readers certainly knew what he was talking about. William Barclay said it like this, and I totally agree with him. He says, this is, this is what Barclay said. This is one of the most difficult passages that Paul ever wrote. So just enter into my skin for a moment. As I read that at the first part of this week, as I'm preparing my message, oh great, I'm entering in to the most difficult passage or one of the most difficult passages. And so I'm trying in, 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 my, in my spirit and in, in, in my mind and in my, lim, in, in my limitedness to present to you what is the challenge of what's going on and what was going on behind the scenes. Even though we can't put all the pieces of the puzzle together, we, do, we can deduce this. We can deduce this, that they were trying to take Jesus in the, in the Colossian community, in the, in, in the city of Colossae, and they, and they were trying to take Jesus there and they were either putting a plus or a minus to Jesus. They were either adding to Jesus or they were taking away from Jesus. And there was something about Jesus and or Jesus minus that they were trying to do with Jesus. But Jesus, here's the key thing, Jesus wasn't enough. And I want to propose to you today that Jesus is enough, he is sufficient, that his work on the cross was absolutely all that we needed. And that's why I'm saying that if you find something solid, bite down on it. And let it transform your life. Let it evolve your life. Let it, let it make the changes in your life that it needs to make. But here, just to give you a little bit of the flavor of the context of chapter 2, let's look at verse uh, 4 and 5. So I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Delude, mess up, water down, change, alter, with plausible, persuasive arguments. For though I am absent in the body, Paul wasn't there, he was in jail writing this letter, for jail for not bad things, but for being a Christian. And he's writing this letter back, and he's writing, he's absent in the body, but I'm with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. Now this word order is actually a military term, your good order, your good, your good structure, your good systems, your good everything's put in place. I'm wanting to see your good order and your firmness of your faith in Christ. So what Paul says is, listen, listen, there's a lot of different things going on out there. There's a lot of different beliefs out there. There's a lot of different people saying that this is the way and I know the way. And listen, I hope that you got this in line. I'm praying that even though I'm not with you, I'm praying that you have a firm faith in Christ. Not a firm faith in Paul, not a firm faith in Mike McDaniel, not a firm faith in what I'm going to say, but a firm faith in Christ. Okay, that's the the real nuts and the bolts of why he's writing this, that Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. It's not Jesus minus or Jesus plus, it's just Jesus. And how is he sufficient? Hopefully we'll get to that uh, before the end of today. But let's go on and let's read a couple more verses just again to build on that context. Verse 8 now. 
says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Again, he's kind of emphasizing beware out there by philosophies, by empty deceit. Now, again, we don't know exactly what it was. We have to deduce that. We have to dive into the, to, to understand what was going on in the Greek Hellenistic culture, what was going on in that time period, in that place, along that, that Roman road, that, 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 that Roman imperial uh, dynasty that was, that was going on, that empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He brings it back to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And I want you to see here that He is pointing us back again. Hey, listen, don't miss out. I want your firm faith in Christ. Hey, 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 I want you not to be caught up in the emptiness of this world out there, but I want you to see the fullness of the deity. Everything that is about God is found and wrapped up in this Christ. He is sufficient. He is enough. And if Christ, if Jesus is sufficient, make him your true north so that every day you get up and you recalibrate. Every day you get up and as you're driving through life, you align yourself. Every day you set your GPS coordinates on Jesus. If he is who he says He is, and if he is who Paul is saying he is, make him your true north. So let's talk about the pathways or the roads or the angles that that we can take in this world because they're out there and they're, they're many, but let's just narrow it down to three pathways that we can choose from. One, there are dead ends in this world, okay? We need to understand that not all roads have a happy ending. Not all roads, now all roads might look the same. All roads as you turn on that road might look like it's going somewhere. It has curb and gutter. It has streets and lights and it's going somewhere and you're curving around and you're seeing things on a dead end street. When you get to the end of that street, you are where are you? You're at a dead end. And if that's where you want to be in life is at a dead-end street in a cul-de-sac, which, by the way, the word cul-de-sac is a French expression. It means bottom of the sack. So if you want to end up at the bottom of the sack, if you just want to be the crumbs in the bottom of the sack, if that's your goal, ambition in life, then, hey, do this. Just get out and live and let live. But in reality, you might end up on a dead-end street going nowhere. So lessons about driving and lessons about streets, not every street has a happy ending, okay? Now, you might be on that street for a while, and it may be a good street, but hey, in reality, not every street has a happy ending, and not every street will take you where you want it to go. Just kind of just realize that. I, I, I deal with road rage, okay? I'm confessing it to you. Not the road rage where I pull people over and want to knock them in the head. I deal with my own road rage for myself. I can't believe I missed that turn. I was driving this past week. I told you I didn't have to, I didn't have to get directions one time on that road trip. This past week I had a GPS in front of me. I was driving in Northern California and I got lost so many times and I got missed the turn so many times that the pastors that were with me kept laughing at me and they started doing over or under how many times I was going to miss the turn before I got from the hotel to the convention. And so 
I just get frustrated with myself. What I do? What happened? I have a GPS telling me turn by turn where to go. What happened is I, ha- I was listening to the conversation in the back and engaging in the conversation that was going on behind me that I had to turn down the lady telling me where to turn. So the noise behind me was more important than the noise in front of me, and the noise in front of me was trying to tell me where to go. So sometimes you've got to turn the guys down in the back and turn up the navigator in the front. Are you going to end up on one of those dead-end streets headed nowhere? Notice the phrase he used in verse 8. We read it already. He said, beware of the empty void deceit. This world's going to offer us up a lot of stuff. It's going to look polished. It's going to look good. It's going to sound good. It's going to have a positive spin to it. It may even have some prosperity gospel tied into it. It's going to have some easy believism. It's going to have some positive mental attitude. It's going to give you some, some direction in your life. But it may not present you Jesus. It may present you some positive mental attitude. It may give you some, some warm fuzzies. It may give you that. But it may not give you the depth, the sustenance the density that we need in life. I took my Bible and I drew a circle around empty deceit and I drew a line down to the next phrase because I think what Paul's doing, or a phrase further down, the fullness of God. He points out it's not about empty deceit. It's about the fullness of God. It's not about the the void of this world's philosophies. It's about the fullness of the deity found in Christ. This world's going to offer us up a lot of emptiness. If you go down to the last part of verse 23, uh, in the last part of your chapter, and by the way, if you don't have your Bibles, download a Bible. They're free, okay? Everyone should have their Bibles, this, and you can mark in them as you go. But here's verse 23. It says, these have indeed an appearance, these philosophies that are out there, they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. You know, most people, when they look at their life, they're frustrated with their life. They see it, and they don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to fix their marriage. They don't know how to fix their actions and their attitudes. They don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to fix the fears. And see, what, was, what they were dealing with in this day, many scholars believe it was Gnosticism that was on the rise. And Gnosticism says it's Jesus plus. So what Gnosticism did is it took on a little bit of Jesus and it took on a little bit of Hellenistic, uh, uh, the Greek-Roman culture, and it took on a little bit of Judaism and it made it its own concoction. But what it did is it gave it this sense of, of, of freedom from fear. So in that day and age, what was really big was astrology. It was one of the, one of the more common beliefs. Julius Caesar, Augustus, even cynical Tiberius, all were influenced by the stars. Alexander the Great believed in the implicity of the influence of the stars. He, he believed in the astrology, and they lived in fear of what the stars may tell them. But Gnosticism gave them freedom from that, that fear, that unknown. And you know what is still happening in our day? There's a lot of people living in the grips, in the throes of fear. Fear of tomorrow, fear of loss, fear of health, fear of, fear of, fear of. I heard this past week somebody said, it was actually Max Licato, he said it like this. He said, instead of 
the land of stars and stripes. We have become the land of stress and strife. Dr. Philip Zimbardo, a psychologist, said this, youth today, a a psychiatrist, excuse me, a psychiatrist said this, that the youth of today have levels of anxiety that the psychiatric patients of the 1950s had. We are not growing in the evolution of our society to a more peace-filled society, to a more reconciled society, but we are growing in fear and anxiety and hurts and pains. One person called this generation the Xanax generation, not Generation Z, Generation Xanax, and that we are in the United States of anxiety. We live in this fear just like Tiberius did, just like Alexander the Great did. And where do you find hope? Is it in Zen Buddhism? Is it in yoga? Is it in a pill? Is it in the dopamine drip of a new car? Is it, is it, in, is it in, a, in a bottle? Where am I going to get an escape from this pill, from this pain, from this fear, from this anxiety? Where meeting with the God of the universe might be a good place to start. In the midst of all of the philosophy and the emptiness of this philosophy, Paul points us back to Jesus. And we read it last week in chapter 1, verse 27, and chapter 2, verse 2, that God's mystery, which is Christ. He defines what the mystery is. In chapter 1, verse 27, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope. You want to find the antidote to the fears and the anxieties and the stresses of this world? Find hope. Where are you going to find hope? Just back into this. Reverse engineer this passage. Where am I going to find hope? I'm going to find hope when Christ is in me. Where am I going to find Christ? Bingo. If Christ is sufficient, make him your true north. That every day you'll get up and live on that true north. Verse 17, don't miss this. This is this is this is huge. Verse 17 says it like this. It says, These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance. It's the Greek word soma. Churches have called themselves Soma. It's a great name because it means body. It means the full essence of life, even life and death. There's times that it's actually used to describe a corpse. It's, it's, it describes the totality of life. So what is he saying? He's saying the totality of life and death and all points in between, the true substance, the fullness of the deity of Christ, and the true substance of this life is Christ Is he that to you? Is Christ your substance? If Christ is sufficient, make him your true north. Number two, you've got to beware of detours. Now, detours 
We all face them. We get on a road, especially see them around here nowadays in all the road work that's going on. And detours, you might get back on the right path and you might not. Detours will, will tell you they're taking you somewhere, but they don't necessarily take you the most expedient route. So it was not only Gnosticism that they were dealing with, but it was Judaism. Gnosticism said Jesus plus. Judaism just said Jesus negative, minus. You don't really need Jesus. You just need the law. You just need the commandments. You just need to be ceremonial clean. You just need to obey the Sabbath. You just need to do all the ceremonial elements of, of, of it all. And you don't need to miss it. And so they take they, what they try to do. Verse, let's look at verse 16 and 17. And so this was another belief that they were dealing with. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of your food and your drink and with regard to your festivals and your new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow. Now, the shadow, is this substance? No, it's the shadow. It's the shadow of something. What? The shadow of things to come. Who's the things to come? The substance belongs to Christ. So everything in the Old Testament is pointing us to the New Testament of what Jesus is going to do. It's just a shadow. It's casting a shadow. Look in this direction. You don't go hug a shadow. You don't embrace a shadow. A shadow doesn't... It's not a... It's, Jesus is... Uh, the Old Testament is... Uh, it's not a mirage. He's the real thing. And we've got to embrace it. And Jesus did this really cool thing in, in, in the Old Testament. And throughout the Scriptures, actually, Old and New Testament, Testament is where we get the word, our concept of covenant. And He does this cool thing here where this this covenantal God out there, and, and He makes this covenant, and He makes these various covenants uh, with man, and man has needs, and so He steps in, He makes a covenant, and then with that, He typically gives a symbol with that. Okay? So it goes covenant, God, man's needs, covenant uh, uh, symbol. And he did it at different times. Now, I'm not going to hit all of them. I'm going to hit, I want to hit a couple of them. But you, you see the first time it happened uh, with, with Adam in the garden. He, he sees the need, the need, the, the need. is man is alone. So what does he do? He creates woman. And man, isn't that awesome? <laughs> I mean, that's a beautiful story there. It's like, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And I'm, going to give you I'm going to give you a woman and she's going to complete you. And, and it's like, man. I like this. This is going in the right direction. And so I'm going to give you a woman. And then the next covenant comes whenever Noah comes along and the flood comes and the earth is uh, under destruction. And then what, what does he do? He says, I'm not going to destroy the earth anymore through the flood. And he gives him a rainbow. So first of all, he gets a woman. That's the first symbol. The second time he gets a rainbow. This is rolling out pretty nice. So then the next one comes along. It's Abraham. And Abraham, what does he get? He gets, uh, I mean, he said, I'm going to give you a nation. And we're going to form a nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. He said, but there's going to be a covenant. And it's going to be circumcision. It's like, man, you are on such a good roll, God. I got a woman. We got a, a rainbow. And now I get a circumcision. You know, the, I mean, he got the short end of the stick on that one, pun intended. Um, but, uh, yeah, I said that may regret it later, but uh, but it was never meant to be the actual. It was the symbol was the outward cutting, but it was actually supposed to be a heart thing. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and that you may live. See, it was never about an external circumcision. It was always about the circumcision of the heart. See, the people in the Old Testament were, 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 were come to faith in, in God the same way. It was through a heart transformation. But what happens in our day and age still to this day was we'll make legalism. Well, if you've got to do this, you've got to operate this way. And even in the Christian circles, there's a legalism that rises itself up. I, mean, I know people who say you can't listen to beats of music because this is, this is ungodly beats of music. And there's all kinds of radical stuff out there among even the Christian circles. But listen, I like the way Brennan Manning says, it says the genius of legalistic religion is you make primary matters secondary and secondary matters primary. We've well, got to keep the primary the primary. And see, in the Old Testament, whenever God wrote the law in the beginning, He said, He said, I got one command for you. I got one command. Don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from that tree. Just 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 let me be truth in your life. You eat from that tree, you're gonna know good and evil. Up until then, you're just going to know good. So they couldn't obey one thing. What happens after that? You go through, you got 10 commandments to try to get them back on track. 10 commandments ended up at 613 rules to interpret the 10 commandments. And you couldn't do so many things. And that's what Paul was saying here. He says, don't let people come in to your life. Start putting 613 laws on your life and they'll tell you that's how you're going to walk with God. And Jesus brings it back to one in the New Testament. And it was right what we just read from. Just love God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your might. Let Him transform you. If Jesus is sufficient, make Him your true north. But it doesn't end there. The covenant doesn't end there. Jesus enters the scene because there's a problem with sin. Man has a need and it's sin. And we see that from Genesis all the way through. And there's a symbol, and the symbol is Christ on the cross. The hope of life, which leads me to dead ahead. Don't take the detours. Don't, don't, don't take the dead ends. Go dead ahead, pursuing what... That's what he's, he's saying. Hey, listen, don't lose what you already got. You're on the right path. I don't want, you, I don't want to see you get off this path. He said in... In, in, in verse uh, verse uh, 3, he calls him to uh, throw that up on the screen, guys. Uh, is it there? Maybe not. There we go. For in him, the whole fullness of ch- chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him, the whole fullness of the deity in Bali Joyce. Listen, you don't need anything more than Christ. It's not Christ plus, it is Christ is enough. And you go down to verse 10. That was, in, uh, that was in verse 9. And you go on down to verse, uh, uh, verse 10 and it says this. And you have been filled with him who is the head, the rule of authority. In him also you are circumcised with the circumcision made, uh, not made with hands, but with putting off the body of the flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism. 
in which you also were raised in with him through faith in the power of working of God who raised him from the dead. Listen, what he's going to do in verse in these verses right here, verses 12 and verse 14, he's going to give us the gospel. It's going to be in, in, in the most simplified three-verse version of the gospel that I can find in the Bible. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses. And the uncircumcision of the flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. When you look at this passage, you see why Jesus is enough. Why? If Jesus is, 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 is sufficient in and of himself, why he should be my true door? Number one is that my life has direction each and every day because of him. I have direction in my life. I don't have to get up and wonder where I'm going to go. I don't have to go just go with the winds. I don't. I just don't just just get up and get somewhere on accident. If you look back at verse six, he he leads us so well, and he says, "Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him." He gives us a cause and effect here. As you receive Christ, cause. What's the effect? So walk in Him. You have a path. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. He is your guide. He is is the one who is, is, is going to give you direction in your life if He is your true north, if He is your Savior and Lord. You know, Paul, in his writings, I mean, two different times in one book, he uses Jesus as Savior. But up. And the rest of the time, 92 times, Lord, Lord Jesus, 13 times, Lord Jesus Christ, six times. You cannot separate Jesus from being Lord. In Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So I want to just pause here just a second. I want to say this. If Jesus isn't your Savior and your Lord. My friends, I, I just plead with you. I, I implore you. I can't make you do it. But, but receive Him today. If, if you receive Him today, walk with Him today, if he, get, he will give you direction in your life. And, you know, some of these dumpster fires and some of these accidents that you keep having and some of this regrets that you keep living and the shame that you keep trying to escape from, man, He will, he will totally ra- radicalize your life and change your life for the better. Give yourself to Him today. My life has a stability in the circumstances and the situations that I that I face. If you go on and read in verse 7, therefore as you receive the Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him. Now he says, then rooted, notice that word, rooted, built up, established in the faith. Three different words leading us to this idea of stability in life. 
the ability to handle the winds, the storms, the tossings, the turnings that, that may churn against us. I can handle it. I'm not tossed to and fro. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm stable because Christ is who I'm setting my life off of. In Ephesians 4.14, he says, No longer be children tossed to by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. He could have written that same words here in Colossians. Don't, don't, don't chase after everything new. Come back to something that is tried and true and live your life based on that being Jesus Christ. Number three, and I'm finished. My life has gratitude in every moment. That may not seem like that big of a deal, but I think it's huge. He says, therefore, because you received Christ, so walk in Him, being rooted and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing, abounding in thanksgiving. See, what happens whenever you enter into this relationship with Christ, all that anxiety we talked about before, all those troubles, they're going to still come, they're going to come, they're going to come, but they're going to come differently. Some of the self-induced issues are going to go away. Life is still going to come. But you're going to have the wherewithal, the perspective on life with all, to be able to handle life that comes your way that wouldn't normally be able to be handled, and you'll do it in a spirit of gratitude. And it's actually what, what Richard Malik, one of my New Testament professors, said is one of the first things that goes in the life of a believer if he's not walking with God. It's one of the first indicators of the departure from God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, they knew God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Gratitude is one of the first things that goes from a person who's not walking with God. Gratitude is whenever it's not there. Thankfulness, when it's not there, what enters in is arrogance and self-entitlement. When bad times come, you can, God, why'd you fail me, God? It's kind of like the child who you, you, dad, mom, puts gas in the car for the kid to, to go on the date on Friday night and didn't even say thank you. And you come home as a parent and you go... Not even a thank you? What happens? That, that child had a spirit of arrogance and entitlement. And you don't want to raise your kids like that. You don't want to be married to somebody like that. A spouse comes in and they're trying their best to give love and show love and they're trying to speak the love language of the other person and it's just like they never can. They're constantly being beat down. They can never get ahead. It's because the other person in the relationship has a spirit of arrogance and entitlement. And you're still not speaking my love language and they're not being grateful. It's like when you bring home a paycheck. And the first thing you think, what am I going to spend it on? What's in it for me? Instead of saying, you know what, God, thank you for my job. The first part's coming off and it's going to you. Because we'll live with a spirit of entitlement and arrogance that it belongs to us. But one of the marks of a believer of a person who's living well their life, is they have the ability to give thanks because they have a different perspective, a different footing on this world, a different transformation in their own heart and life. Read this verse with me, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks 
in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Can you give thanks? It's not just about that. I think about this past week, just about this hour, a week ago, in a little town in Texas, and you know where I'm going with this, when an angry, deranged, ungrateful individual walks into a church and starts shooting people. And that experience is devastating. This morning, I just prayed for that church. I've prayed for them all week, but this morning especially because I know that this is reliving that for them in whatever form. It was interesting that it was quoted in CNN of Sherry Pomeroy, the wife of the pastor of which they lost their 14-year-old daughter. This is what she said. We lost more than Bella yesterday. We lost the one thing that gives me a silver, a sliver of encouragement is the fact that Bella was surrounded by her church family that she loved fiercely and vice versa. Our church was not comprised of members or parishioners. We were a very close family. We ate together, we laughed together, we cried together, we worshiped together. There's a depravity in mankind, a brokenness in mankind. That outside of Christ, outside of a relationship with Him, I don't see how you can make it another day. Another day. Please, don't live an endless, meaningless life of dead ends and detours. Know Jesus. Set your life on Him as the sufficient Lord of the universe and Lord of your life. Would you bow your heads with me right now? If you're in this room today and you say, Mike, I, 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 I'm ready. I've, I'm ready for Jesus to be Lord of my life. I'm tired of my life being a dumpster fire. I'm tired of waking up wondering how this day is going to end. I'm ready to be in Christ and Christ in me. I'm ready to have a sure foundation. I'm built up. I'm rooted. I'm established. I'm ready to have a thankful heart full of thankfulness in my life. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand and you can put it right back down. Thank you. Others, I am ready today. Thank you. A couple more. This is your time to declare, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Thank you. Right where you said, just in your own heart, just say, Jesus, I need you. I want you 
to be my Lord and my Savior. Whatever that means from this day forward, I want to walk with you. Father God, you know the hearts and the minds of everyone in this room. You know what we're hiding behind and what we're drowning in. Lord, set us free. It's not Jesus plus or Jesus minus. It's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Lord Jesus, be real in these people's hearts today that are crying out to you. This day and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Would you worship with us?